Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Yeah, and we got a question today I think that would be good to kind of jump on to. Um, sure. And the question came into our, as you uh, recall, Rachel, came into our uh, mailbox, and it was about transcripts. Yeah. So, and, uh, uh, yeah, why don't you go over what that question was? So the question was kind of interesting because it was worded in a way that was a little unfamiliar to me. But so what the student said was, he believes, he says, I believe there are barcodes or forms that need to be submitted with one's transcripts when applying to med medical school. Are these forms or barcodes submitted with our transcripts available at any time? Or do we have to wait for the application service to open up before we can submit these forms to the registrar? Yeah. And so this, this is a good question. This is kind of about a, a question about the logistics of the process, really. And uh, the short answer to that question is transcripts, you need to wait on transcripts until you've actually started uh, the application and uh, until the application opens for the cycle. And uh, because they're only good for one cycle. And the forms with the barcodes on them, they're helpful, but they're not required. And, and the reason they're helpful is because as you might expect, these application services get thousands and tens of thousands of uh, transcripts every year. And because there's no individual code on them that indicates who they belong to, the application service depends on uh, looking at the name. And obviously, lots of people have similar names, or if not identical names. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then they also have to, you know, uh, figure out, in, in other words, they're figuring out who does this transcript belong to, which applicant does this belong to. Mm -hmm. And so the form helps them, if that form is received with the transcript, then it gives an identifier for which application that belongs to. So it's not required. It's very helpful for the application services, but it's not required. But definitely, absolutely, uh, do not send the transcripts ahead of time uh, and uh, wait until you are have started the process. Great. That's the best way to, to, to do it. I know a lot of students want to get the jump on it and get things out of the way and Go ahead and do that, but yeah, that's not not something that's going to be okay. Well, I think that leads really nicely to a follow-up question, which is, okay, so it's November and I'm applying in May and I'm jittery and I want to get the jump on it. Um, I've just learned from the brilliant Dr. James Scott Wright that I shouldn't go ahead with transcript ordering yet. It's a little early. What? can I be doing right now to pre be preparing for applications? Yeah, that's a good question. And I just had that question with one of my students that I'm working with uh, in the cycle. And um, he's in classes. And so uh, my particular advice to, to him was, or, or will be, we haven't met yet, but my, my particular advice to him will be um, relax, breathe, 
do well in your courses. Uh, after the course, uh, after the semester's over, he's going to be uh, really hitting hitting it hard in terms of in, MCAT prep uh, because he's taking the MCAT in uh, late January, mm -hmm. and uh, and and so that's that's the real key. If you're not in school, then uh, there's really nothing you can do. I, I I mean, you can start working on your personal statement a little bit, but I don't even re really recommend that. I, I think you've got plenty of time after the first of the year to get get knocking on that. So okay. I think at this point, it's just, you know, you just got to chill out. And uh, there's really not a whole lot you can do if you're applying next next May uh, for the for uh, for that um, for the 22 cycle. Mm -hmm. OK. All right. So here's a question. Hi, I hope you're well despite the craziness of the world. Thank you. you yes. Too. Yep. I'm really feeling the craziness. So I like I take that <laughs> comment to heart. Thank you. Me too. Me too. <laughs> uh, the question is, what are some big red flags you've seen in a personal statement? Sorry, in personal statements when reading them? Yeah, big red flags. So, uh, you know, the, the, the obvious big red flag is misspelled words, grammatical errors, difficulty really reading uh, because the syntax is so bad or, or just the, the written language is not not readable or, or not doesn't flow very well. Uh, so the, there's you know language issues are, are a big red flag whether it's grammatical or, or spelling or stuff. And I would say most applicants do pretty well on the on the uh, spelling and, and grammar but those are fairly rare. Uh, sometimes uh, lack of readability is is more common, and uh, that's because I think often students rush through it, don't get adequate um, uh, advice on their on their personal statement in terms of readability and in terms of editing that can really help with that kind of stuff. Particularly students who are uh, not native English speakers, um, there's some real obvious signs that you see in the written language uh, when a student is not a native English speaker uh, that really get, gives it away. And so I, I, I definitely think if you're not uh, a native speaker that you need to get multiple people reading your essays and uh, helping you on, on that. And multiple people that are native speakers and really know how to write well. I think that's that's a big thing. So readability is a a, a big a, a big issue. Uh, often, big red flag. Um, I think uh, another another red flag that comes to my mind that can be a, a real real problem is language that is too confrontive, aggressive. Um, Hello, Dr. Ryan Gray. You're here. We Hello. love you. What's going on? We're talking about big red flags in uh, in personal statements, mm -hmm. and uh, and so I was talking a little bit about that, and and I, I was talking about you know sometimes people get very um, it's it's not uh, often, but I have seen applications where they're negative, or they approach negative topics, 
or they come across as negative. And a good example would be they had a bad experience with a doctor at some point in their life. And suddenly all doctors are bad and they're going to save the world from bad doctors and blah, blah, blah. So that would be a And the physician reading it goes, so you think I suck, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. So not a good thing to, to go down that road. So those are a few of my red flag issues. Yeah. And in my mind, right, if you I always try to have students step back and like take a look at what you're doing to present yourself. Right. And you've spent weeks, if not months, crafting this essay to to show medical schools. Look at me. Look at who I am. This is my best foot I'm putting forward. And it's all negative. Yes. That gives the impression that you're not going to be very fun to hang out with for the next four right. years. That you're going to be right. in my office complaining about everything, right? The teachers suck. You could do it better. The 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 attending suck. You could do it better. Your classmates yeah. suck. Like, I just that's the vibe that you're putting off. And I'm not saying that's who you are, but that's the vibe you're putting off, and you don't want yep. to do that. No. Yeah. I I completely agree with that. It's very, uh, and you know, I think it comes across loud and clear to admissions committees when they read that uh, type of thing. And and, and it's a real turnoff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we talked about this a little bit last week um, in the Thursday workshops that we've been doing, talking about attributes. And someone had said, you know, how do I make that distinction between autonomy, like having confidence in self to make decisions, versus being overconfident. And the good rule of thumb I always go back to, and uh, Ryan, I think you say this too, is like, if you've got your blinders on, and you're not looking left or right, and you just believe in yourself, that's confident, that's good. If the reason you feel good is because you're comparing yourself to others and putting them down, then you- That's not good. Yes, you might across the line there. You know, like that's something to to dig into a little bit more deeply with yourself. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to stay on for this one, too, because it's MCAT. Yeah. So oh boy. I am planning to retake the MCAT. I'm sorry you have to. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I'm planning to retake the MCAT, and I plan to focus on practice questions and practice exams and test conditions. That sounds good. I've heard a lot of talk in the pre-med underworld about UWorld. Any thoughts on suggested question banks? Um, yeah. I mean, I haven't personally looked at the UWorld question banks. I'm a little bit out of the MCAT game now. So like you can lose currency pretty quickly. Um, but I've, I've heard that they're pretty good. I know that UWorld spends um, a lot of, of their resources on writing and editing. Um, so hopefully they're not gonna be rife with errors or anything. In terms of their quality, in terms of how close they are to AAMC, I'm not actually sure. Um, but you know- I can, I can give you student feedback. Students love UWorld. Yeah, I hear a lot of good things. Um, And for the question asker, I agree that lots of practice questions and practice exams are important. The only caveat I would give to that, and this is without, you know, knowing you personally or knowing your prior prep, is just making sure you do have the content down and at recall. Like, I've seen students want to jump ahead to questions when they're still missing a lot of um, subject-specific things. So like, for example, if you work with Blueprint, I know, I don't know if they have this anymore, but for a long time, Blueprint had those like subject tests. So you could check your content knowledge. And it's basically the equivalent of like a discrete or a standalone MCAT question, right? Like 
if you're always getting the standalones right and you're missing passages, then you probably need passage practice. If you're still missing the standalones, then you might have some content gaps too. Um, and uh, almost all of the test prep companies offer some kind of um, percentage feedback where you can look at, you know, not just what you got right or wrong, but like the categories and how you're doing. And that can be a way to make that distinction. Um, but yeah, timed work is important. Yeah. And I think it's fine to do timed passages and then timed sections and then work your way up to timed full length exams. So, you know, if you're struggling to get a passage done and, you know, your seven minute goal or whatever goal you have, then you don't necessarily need to do a full length test to work on physics passages if that's the weak area. Um, so I would slice and dice the way you do timed work and question banks are good for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Definitely. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Um, Rachel, what what sort of questions or issues have you seen um, our mapped members struggle with? Not not specifically when it comes to like using map software or or the mapped kind of uh, world, but what um, just in general the the common questions, issues, confusion that's coming up that you see? Uh, a lot of confusion over AP. Um, mm. And, and that is not on you, you mapped members or people who aren't in mapped who are listening. It, the more I dig into it, the more I see that AP is really confusing. So as um, students who are in college prep or AP or IB, whatever your, your high school's offering you, you're sort of fed this message that it's really important to get as much advanced placement as you can both to make yourself look attractive to colleges and also to get college credit out of the way. And then it turns out that for pre-med, some of those advanced placement credits, even if they counted as credit at your college, might not qualify as a pre-rec fulfillment. And then, you know, there's lots of ifs and ands and buts here. So if you heard me say that, please don't panic. Like what I'm saying is go do your research because sometimes it does qualify. Sometimes it doesn't qualify, but higher level courses in the same subject will make up for it. So like maybe Gen Chem is not accepted as AP, but if you went on to take several extra semesters of chemistry, maybe you're a chem major, maybe you did lots of biochem, you know, um, it, that might qualify instead. Um, and what I'm seeing, the more I dig into this, and part of why we were digging into it is to see if we could standardize it for mapped. And, a lot of med schools don't even have a clear yes, no on advanced placement. They might actually vary by subject. So we found some schools that said um, yes to English and physics, but no to bio and chem. Um, so this is one of those things where even if you're two years out from applying, if you've got an idea of where you're going to apply, you know, you're in a state with only a couple state med schools, so you know you're gonna at least apply to all the ones that are in state and public. Um, I would start looking at those schools' policies and I mean, they do reserve the right to change them, so it could be different in two years, but if they're saying now something doesn't count, that gives you a chance to make a plan. And I, I would go beyond that too. I would say if you're in high school and you're wanting to take a bunch of AP credit, just just don't do it in the sciences. Uh, that's go that's going to be, you know, I think that's not going to change. They're not going to turn turn you down because you actually took 
GenChem and OChem and biology and physics in college. Uh, you know, and, and my advice even to applicants uh, these days is safer, better than safer, better safer than sorry in terms of getting good groundwork. You know, uh, I, I, I think that, um, you know, general chemistry is so founda foundational. Uh, bio one and two are so foundational for everything that's going to come after that. You know, both in terms of MCAT prep, if you, if you take those, but also in terms of satisfying prerequisites and stuff, um, you're not going to go wrong by actually taking the courses in college. Yeah, well, and this gets a little bit tricky because um, there is enormous pressure on rigorous course load. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're going to state schools for college, they are primarily looking at your numbers, what's your GPA, what's your, what's your SAT or ACT score. But especially if you're applying to a highly selective college as a high school um, junior or senior, the number one thing the more selective schools look at is rigor of course load. Yep. So what it's going to come down to is that you might take a bunch of APs because you're thinking maybe pre-med, but maybe engineering. I mean, I've got a nephew that's toggling between pre-med and pre-law, like those don't have much in common, um, <laughs> you know, but so he's taking as many APs as he can and then understanding that there's a chance that even though he got AP credit, he's still going to take calc again. I mean, he's someone who took calc BC as a sophomore. So by the time freshman year of college comes around, he's going to be rusty in calculus anyway. Um, but one thing that I think and a lot of the college listeners, since we have a lot more college and non-traditional than high school listeners, a lot of the, something that the college students here can confirm is college goes so much faster than high school. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You will be thrilled if you got a four or a five on Gen Chem or in Calc, and then you have to take it again, you're going to be really relieved that you know it so well because it's still going to be work to earn the A because it goes so fast. Yeah, agreed. So yeah, sometimes it just means you're going to take it twice, and then hopefully that means that the, your foundation in that subject is outstanding. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'm concerned about getting a DO, Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine, LOR, letter of recommendation, for the 2021-22 season because I haven't been able to shadow. Some DO schools require one. Do you think this might change, or will they just say, too bad, too mm. bad, so sad? Um, so I'll lead real quick because uh, I've had a bunch of communication with the ACOMAS team, the, the DO team, um, and it's one of these myths that like you have to have a DO letter of recommendation to apply to, to DO schools. And, and yes, there are one or two or three DO schools that require most recommend. Uh, obviously, with COVID, I think everything's up in the air. Um, so I, I wouldn't worry too much about having a DO letter of recommendation. Um, well, and you know, and in my opinion, always is in what what I would ask this question, this the 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 student that asked this question. What I would ask back to them is, what what option do you have if you haven't if you can't shadow a, a DO, so you can't get a letter of recommendation? If some schools say no, too bad. Then what what option do you have? You know, there's no question here. You 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 yeah. put your application out there and. If some are going to say no, then they're going to say no. And I mean, you, there's there's no there's nothing to do here. So don't worry about it because 
if that's the way it is, then that's the way it is. So I think often pre-med students worry about things when there's, there's no, there's no reason to worry because you have no control over it, you know? So I, I'd, I'd be, I, I would say, don't worry about it. I agree with you, uh, Ryan, that it, it, you know, you just have to kind of go beyond that and just say, I do what I can. I do what I can. I do what I want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. All right. Postback student here. I'm currently taking biochem and a retake of GenChem. Previously, I had a C- while working full-time. Unfortunately, financially, I have no other option. It seems as if this term, more than ever, I've struggled juggling it all. Would it look bad to have a pass-no-pass no pass grade for biochem and a letter grade for my Gen Chem retake. I'm thinking, depending on how my next exam goes in biochem, I might change to pass, no pass, as I don't want my GPA to be negatively impacted. That's exactly how it's going to come across to the admissions committee. Uh, I, I'd say you got to... That you did it just so your GPA yep. wouldn't be affected. Yep. Yeah. Which which would go, they probably were struggling with a B minus C plus. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And and particularly if you had another course in the same term that was graded, then, yeah. I mean, if I was looking at that, I would say, I know exactly what's happening here. So I, I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, so. So just in general, right, pass, no pass, especially when COVID first hit. Uh, almost every school, they went to like mandatory pass, mm -hmm. no pass. Correct. Like, We're That's just a different pass, thing, no yeah. Completely yeah. different. Um, yeah. Pass no pass at this point. I think the the assumption is going to be from medical schools that you should have figured it out by now. Um, yep. Dealing with being at home and working and and everything else. Uh, obviously, I don't I don't know if that's a valid statement. To, um, there's just so much that is still unknown and so much anxiety out there. Um, so it's understandable that people are still struggling right now. Um, but from a medical school perspective, I, I think they're going to expect letter grades from here on out. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Totally agree with that. Oh, here's another good question. There's several mm -hmm. good questions. Oh, yeah, this is a great one. This is the same one. Uh, next one. Oh, no, there's, there's another great one. Yeah, this go. is the one. Yeah. Hello, I am an ER nurse and on my way to med school. I am planning yeah. to take my prereqs again. I am planning to attend junior college. I have a master's in nursing already. How would I, how would it be viewed if I go back to a junior level college? My reason is to save money. Cumulative GPA of 3.1 with a science GPA of 2.65. And I'm assuming this follow-up, uh, it's been 10 years since the student mm -hmm. has prereqs is the same right. student. Yeah, um, I, I, I would say that's a great. Yeah. I think it's... Well, you know, I, I totally get the the idea of saving money. I, I totally get that. I, however, don't think it's a good idea. Um, you're, you know, I think having a GPA that low, particularly science GPA, um, even if you pulled a, a great GPA at a junior college, uh, the question could very well be asked, well, if... She goes to a really super rigorous institution. What's this going to look like now? I think MCAT's going to be really important for this student um, to show that the science knowledge is there and the ability to use that knowledge in a, in a meaningful way. 
is there now you know the issue here if the issue is money and and you know i think there's a difference between i want to save money or is the issue i don't have any other option you know i understand wanting to save money i and and i i get that but the other question is some students there's no option they they don't have the the capability of doing it as opposed to somebody who could do it it would require some real changes lifestyle and stuff but it's doable um you know there to me there's there's kind of a difference there but i i think optimally uh you do it at a four-year school um ex is it acceptable absolutely you know those courses count they're accredited etc so you know they're going to count toward the prereqs the question is what it's going to mean to uh, an admissions committee when they look at it and uh, try to evaluate number one are you prepared for the rigorous environment of the sciences in medical school number two um you know what well i lost my train of thought but anyway so <laughs> yeah um so i i think scott talk real quick uh, briefly about kind of your optimal suboptimal like, yeah that, so that categorization because I, I think that applies here yeah i i, I think that I, I try to categorize things in three ways optimal this is the best case scenario option acceptable this is the acceptable option maybe not the best of all worlds but depending on your circumstances it definitely is acceptable or not acceptable so I think in this case, junior college is acceptable. Yes, the, the courses are going to count. And if you do well, you know, yeah, you're doing well. Uh, but again, there's that caveat. It is uh, a, a non-selective environment. Basically, anybody can walk in the door and take classes. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, that's going to affect uh, ostensibly how the, the courses are taught and the, and the level of rigor that may be, may be present. Uh, and uh, so optimally, I'd say go into a university where you, you have, um, and, and I think that's going to be how it's going to uh, be looked at by an admissions committee is, you know, they're, you know, yeah, it's acceptable in terms of meeting the requirements, but in terms of the competitive nature of the, uh, of medical schools, it may not, uh, may not be viewed uh, quite as well. So yeah yeah there's what's a lot the of caveats role, there what's the role for uh, let's talk specifically the the texas application since that's the one you're most intimately familiar with the the role of this optional essay potentially for students yeah. like this who struggled yeah. early on went back yeah. to community college did really well is that optional essay a good place to say i, I know my my early grades struggled here's why um i know yeah, I went to junior college here's why yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and I think, I think that's, that's definitely a place where you explain, you know, kind of the situation. Uh, if, if you're not going to do that in a great, in a, in a good bit of detail in the personal statement, which some students choose to do it there, um, at, at least in part, uh, the optional essay is a great place to do that. Uh, you know, unique life experiences or whatever. Um, and and uh, and I, I've seen that a lot um, of where you know and you know secondary uh, essays are also a place. Uh, often they'll they'll ask questions about adversity or you know stuff like that. And 
And uh, so absolutely to, to your question, that would be a, a terrific place to, to go into detail on that. And to really explain in a very personal way, this is why I did it the way I did it. Uh, it was because of financial circumstances. You know, I, I have a, a, a student I'm working with right now, very similar, very similar situation who um, has, uh, you know, always worked through through college full time and everything, and by virtue of that, GPA is not not strong at all. And uh, and given the opportunity to work, you know, go to school full time and not have to work, uh, circumstances may be a lot better, and GPA may be a lot better. But that's that takes a lot of assumptions on the part of an admissions committee, and I don't think, generally speaking, I don't think admissions committees like assumptions. I think they like reality. They like, they like, uh, you know, this is what we see um, in, in, in a concrete way, and they don't like to have to try to presume things. Yep, makes sense. Yep. For the activities section of the application, is it appropriate to add multiple activities to one section? I've done a lot of small fundraising projects, toy drive, colorful band-aid drive for the children's hospital, and homemade mask drive. I really love fundraising in general and would want to make sure the these events are highlighted. Or should I just pick one? I like this question. Good, good kind of yeah, I love nuts this and question. bolts on how to yes. work an application. Yeah, and I I so, totally so agree. Really, yeah, this this question basically only applies to AMCAS because Acomas, yep. TMDSAS, they don't limit. Yeah, yeah. So no, you're exactly thoughts? right. No, I I completely agree with this. Uh, in terms of lumping it all together into fundraising, uh, and then in the description you can kind of go into details about this is multiple projects and dealt with a lot of different things, but about the common. You know, thread here was about you know fundraising for various projects, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I I I, I think for AMCAS, it's the way you got to do it, particularly if you you know have something that you definitely want to put in there. Uh, and I think this is a very appropriate way to do that. And then and then in the description, they do. Get, luckily, AMCAS does give you a, a much longer description. Uh, than TMDSAS does. I, I, I forget what, I, what the length of Acomas a is, but AMCAS is basically double the length of, of the Texas application. Yeah, so Am AMCAS description-wise is 700 characters, mm -hmm. 1325 for that most meaningful. TMDSAS mm -hmm. is 300. 300, yep. For the most meaningful. And then uh, mm -hmm. Acomas is 600, and they don't have a most meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think lumping it together for AMCAS, perfect solution. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Good. Yep. Good way to do there. And and mm -hmm. you don't necessarily specifically have to mention everything that you did, but hours wise and and potentially highlighting, um, highlighting maybe the most impactful one, uh, to to show that or or the way that this student asked the question, it sounds like maybe this should be a most meaningful. Uh, I, I think one of the mistakes that students make is they focus the most meaningful essays and, and experiences specifically on most meaningful around medicine. Mm -hmm. And I always challenge students to read exactly what the most meaningful essay is asking. It's not asking, why is this most meaningful to your journey to become a physician? 
it's asking you what is the most meaningful activity in your life and and who you are and so yeah. it doesn't have to be related to medicine and so this this may be one of those to maybe in the description section kind of list out all of the different things that they've done and then in the um uh and then in and the, the meaningful uh, most meaningful do the mm -hmm. other thing absolutely i i love that uh i love that idea very cool so um, we seem to come have gotten through all of our uh, first questions, but a couple people who had asked have follow-ups, and we still have a couple more minutes, so I thought I would circle yeah, back. Sure. So one is, so our student who had asked about getting a letter of rec um, from a DO mm -hmm. adds, well, I was thinking of Zooming a DO to at least speak with an osteopathic physician about their DO studies to get some perspective. Um, she does have other shadowing and says, not surprising, but my advisor pushed the DO, LOR worry, haha. -ha. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, I think I think the Zooming a DO is a great idea if you can get a, mm -hmm. uh, a, a DO that's willing to sit down with you for, you know, 30, 45 minutes or something and just, you know, talk to them. I, I wouldn't suggest that you get a letter out of that, but I, I do think that it, it, it will give you some perspective and stuff like that. So, yeah, and, and I, I'm sorry that your advisor was pushing the worry uh, on, the, on the letter of recommendation. I, I think sometimes that comes out of um, just, I hate to use the word ignorance, but the lack of knowledge uh, about the uh, process and, and what, what's really required and stuff like that. And so, Isn't that the oh. definition of ignorance? Yeah, well, I wasn't. I just wasn't going to use that it word. It's such a negative <laughs> word, but that by definition. It's, yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah, I also think you know, it comes from a good place because some of it is like the desire to dot every i and cross every t. Right. Like, I don't want you to get eliminated on a technicality kind of feeling. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's why it's great to have you to help us kind of understand those things. Yeah, um, okay, so one other follow up: our friend who was debating since she's doing gen chem and biochem debating going to pass no pass, she says, so this is just running hypotheticals. So let's say I get a C in biochem. Would that be better than the pass no pass? <laughs> I would say, <laughs> yeah, I would say neither are better, you know, better is get a B or better. So, uh, I don't think that, um, a C in biochem is not good, but I also don't think, a going P a pass no pass is good either uh, I, what I about in, in this specific situation right uh, obviously kind of in the pandemic lots of things going on maybe bit off a little bit more than they could chew this semester what about quote unquote settling for that pass no pass and then trying to take an upper division biochem or something else with for a letter in the spring. As, as kind yeah. of like a makeup so that it, it doesn't hurt the GPA right now, but then also shows in the future, look, I, I can handle it. And, and maybe they can see from credit hours or something that, that, that the student took a step backwards a little bit, but just kind of is the, yeah. maybe a little bit best of both worlds. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say in a, in, you know, I guess in a situation where I guess the note, the uh, pass, no pass would be better than a C. Um, I don't think either is a great option, but probably the pass is a better option than a C. Um, I think following that up in your in the scenario you present, Ryan, I think following that up with something 
that is uh, in, in the next uh, semester or quarter or whatever uh, would be advisable for sure. And um, but, you know, I, I think in terms of this, you know, this particular student and I'm not trying to make light of your situation. Let me just, you know, let me just say that I'm not I, 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 I'm sympathetic toward your situation. Uh, but I, I'm trying to view it from the perspective of an, of an admissions committee member when they're yeah. when they've got 10 or 20 applications on their desk that they're trying to go through and yours is right in front of them. I don't want I don't want it to be so easy for an admissions committee member just to say, you know, I've got so many great ones piled up here on my desk and here's just one reason to say no to this one. And I, I you know, I, I think you always want to try to avoid that if possible. Um, so anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to kind of underline your note of sympathy, I mean, the original question said, I'm taking these two classes and I'm working full time and that's the only yeah. financial option I have. Yeah. So, you know, and I get my, it, yeah. Yeah. And one of my thoughts was like, can you get yourself to most colleges have or post-bac programs have some kind of study center? Like, can you get yourself into some free tutoring or free math, free math or chem help? Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, or are you, you know, potentially, and I don't know if this would be possible, but I think it'd be worth a 10 minute conversation with your professor to say, would it be possible for me to take an incomplete and, and to, to finish this up, uh, you know, in the next semester or over the holidays or, you know, what, what are my options here mm -hmm. beyond going just to pass, no pass. If you haven't talked to your professor about the, your options, absolutely do that. And see, see, you know, sometimes professors will, you know, have options that you don't know about and, and things that they might could do with you. And uh, and so at least have a, a short conversation to l let the professor know kind of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I went to a science professor once because I was struggling in the class and he gave me a couple hours of tutoring. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I was know. just checking in to let him know what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't know he was going to volunteer his time to me. I mean, I was amazed. Yeah. That's um, awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. Um, so, so yeah. yeah, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think that takes us mostly to the end of the night. Uh, yeah. Ryan, anything else you want to cover? Any, any pressing thoughts in your brain? I don't think so. I'm just excited to to keep playing with the new new features we've added to to mapped at least on the the testing site of the yeah. feedback building yeah. algorithm stuff. So, yeah, absolutely. It's getting it's getting getting pretty cool. Yeah. And that's that's a, a very formal term, you know, you you understand in in, cool. in formal academic world, cool is uh yeah. acceptable. It's, it's like, like word. If, if you see cool, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or dope. You could use dope. Oh, that is dope. <laughs> okay, boomer. <laughs> Scott's Gen X. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Mentally, uh, I'm millennial, but no. <laughs> The more Thank I'm you, on everyone. TikTok, the more I think exactly I'm Gen Z. Like, I wish I was cool enough to be a real Gen Z. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Uh, well, love you guys. Love all of you out there. Keep Thank your heads you. up. Keep strong. See everyone next week. Take a deep uh, breath. Drop your shoulders. We're going to get through it. We're going to get through it. <laughs>
and check out eShadowing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. This is Dr. Gray again closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.